We are going to make a return to our foundation series. We took a uh, couple of week break from that as we, I did a sort of a missions emphasis on, on uh, the second Sunday of October. And then last week we had Emmanuel Dowlett here. And honestly, I felt like he really kind of followed up that with a really powerful message on also, did you notice, on being available is really what his message was on, is whether we are available to God. Uh, so I was grateful for how the Lord worked that together. We're going to return, however, to our foundation series and we are still really in the, in the beginning, sort of setting the, 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 the basis, the, the very ground level kind of stuff. We had a series uh, on God and on God the Father specifically, and on Jesus Christ, a second member of the Trinity. And now this morning we have the third member that we're going to talk about, and that's the Holy Spirit. And it's just like I've said about every single message I've said so far, at least uh, I know I've so far in this one is that uh, there's just no way to really contain everything that uh, there is to talk about on these subjects. A, we're going to reach into some things that are going to have to get fleshed out later on down the road. That's just how it is. For I'm going to talk about things that uh, we're going to have to sort of fill in the gaps as we go down the road as we talk about stuff like sin and who we are and uh, salvation and all those kind of things. But B, we're talking about God, right? God is so much greater than what I can talk about in even 45 minutes. There's so much more. I could talk all day long about God. I'd probably run out of words, believe it or not. I know you probably don't believe that, but I probably would run out of words. And I still could not give you the full picture, the accurate picture of everything about God. It's... He's just not quantifiable like that. But I do my best to try to communicate what the Word of God says, and I rely greatly on the very one that we're talking about today. I rely greatly on the Holy Spirit and His ability to impart wisdom or to give us understanding or to take us, move us into a space beyond what our heads can really wrap themselves around. I mean, in a sense, I've just told you a lot about what the Holy Spirit does, actually. It's God's presence helping us to not only come to Him, but to understand Him or to, uh, to, to be in, in relationship with Him when we can't fully figure that out ourselves in our head. Let me just read to you again from this. Many of you picked up copies of this. There's still, I think, some copies out there. This is what the basis of what I'm doing is. I, I decided I'm going to do a, fo- a study on the foundations and studying and starting with the study of our statement of theology. This is what we say. I mean, I don't know if you know that or not. This is what we say we believe about who God is and who we are and how it goes. This is why I'm teaching through it to see, is this really what we say? Or is this really what we believe, I guess? That really is what we say. Is it really what we believe? Perhaps as we go along, there's some things that you may realize that need to be sharpened up in your life or that need to be changed or done differently. Now, I will tell you, I'm guessing I, I don't get as much controversy. Maybe I'll get some, but I won't get as much controversy in this as I probably will what comes next. Because what comes next is, based on what we say we believe about who God is and who we are and what he wants from us, what then or how then should we live our lives? That's what we call our statement of faith and practice. And even that's not a very detailed, you know, granular kind of level of kind of thing, but there are a little more specific things on how we live our lives that maybe there might be some more of you that say, eh, I'm not sure that's really what, where, where I'm at. 
But again, my premise is that we're going to begin with this and say, if this is who God says he is, and if this is what the Bible says about, about him and about us, what then does that have to say about how we live? Well, let me just jump in here. Enough of that introductory stuff. This is on the Holy Spirit, and this is sort of the, the big churchy kind of language stuff, but I should read it. The Holy Spirit is one with the Father and with the Son in the triune Godhead and possesses all of the distinctly divine attributes. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God. Everything we talked about in that first message about who God is, that's who the Holy Spirit is. He is infinite in all the God-like qualities. He is God, present and active in the world, ministering conviction of sin to sinners and regeneration to penitents. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to believers in whom he resides. He ministers comfort, assurance, guidance, and victory. He is the agent of sanctification in the believer's life, producing progressive growth in spirit fruit. He empowers, the Holy Spirit empowers believers and works through them in the distribution, manifestation, and ministry of the spiritual gifts. Like I said, a lot of church-like language, and my, my goal is to take that paragraph and maybe use some of the same words, honestly, but to help us understand from God's word why we say we believe this is true about the Holy Spirit, and to help us understand what those big words all mean if we don't understand all of them. Once again this morning, I'm going to go to the very beginning of the Word of God because not only does it uh, do some, uh, is it begin the teaching of the Holy Spirit, but it also helps us to sort of solidify some things that I've been saying this whole way through the series. If you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, which all of you know how it starts, right? This is how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. This was before God began to create. It was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. As much as you can, you can try to imagine what it would be like. Now, I don't think we probably have any real way of fully imagining what it means when it says that the earth was without form. Like it didn't exist, right? Like this big spinning ball that you live on and think is really firm and like really solid. It says it, it, didn't, it was without form. It was void. There was darkness over the face of the deep. But what it goes on to say is this in chapter 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit was present. Now, right away we should see something that I've been trying to sort of hammer home all the way through. We see that all three of these people or these persons or this, the, the, the expressions of God that we call the Trinity are all present, right? Because God was there. We talked about Jesus Christ and we made sure we understood that it was his word, which by the way, I loved how Emmanuel Dowler explained all that. So did you guys catch that? He talked about the word of God and when God says it, it becomes something. That's why his word was there. And as John began his gospel, I don't want to repeat uh, two weeks or three weeks ago his message, but John began his gospel and said, hey, Jesus is the word. And Emmanuel helped us understand that in a very real sense. He's the Word, and the Word was there at the very beginning. When God spoke things, it was Jesus. He was doing it through Jesus. But now we understand, we see, that the Spirit of God was there hovering over the face of the waters. God's Spirit was there at the beginning. Maybe you get tired of me doing this. I'm sorry if you do. But I want to find every opportunity I can in Scripture to help you see that lots of Scriptures talk about God in this threefold way. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right. Just a little, just sort of, sort of, I want to I wanna try to start a couple of th strands. We're going to talk through them. They're going to interweave and hopefully see how they tie together. But just some, some basic understanding. When you see the word spirit for the Holy Spirit of God in the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew, and it's the word ruach. Ruach. And in the New Testament, you're going to see the Greek word, if you would be reading in Greek, and it's the word pneuma, 
Both of them actually mean very much the same thing. They have slightly different definitions, but mostly the same thing. It means wind or breath or spirit. Now, pay attention to this because you're going to see as we read other verses about the Holy Spirit how God uses that word or the image or the definition of that word to help us understand the Holy Spirit and who He is and what He does. The Spirit means wind or breath or spirit. Now, I want to point something out to you. When God continued in His creation story, we read that He created everything, right? Through the Word. He spoke and things began to exist. We read in chapter 2 when he gives us a, a, a more full definition of how he created man. He says this in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. It says, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. As far as I'm aware of, it's the only time it's mentioned that God did something like that specifically with his creation. In other words, he made the animals and they were living beings, Right? But when he made man, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Now, in this verse, the word for breathe is not ruach. It's not the Holy Spirit. And at first you might say, wait a minute, I expected it to be. I suggest to you it's by intention it's not that. He uses the word breathe like he blew into his, into his lungs to make him breathe, but it is not the Holy Spirit. Now think about what that means, by the way. If he would have blown the Holy Spirit into them, what would, what would necessarily be true? You, you finish the thought. If he would have blown the Holy Spirit into Adam, what would necessarily be true? Yeah, that, that Old Testament people in the Old Testament would have had the indwelt Holy Spirit, right? But that doesn't match with Scripture, does it? I believe God did it to show a type or a forerunner of what he really wanted to do. He really wants his presence inside of you. He gave you your breath now, now pay, pay careful attention to what, all the things you think about when you think of your breath and what it means for you to be able to breathe. He gave you your breath as a forerunner or a foretaste of what he really wants to do, which is to put himself inside of you. But God, as we know, gave us choices, right? If he would have blown his Holy Spirit into Adam, Adam would have had no choice. He would have been one with the Father from the get-go, like in the sense that God really wanted but he gave him a choice, didn't he? I believe he's giving, this happens all through scripture, by the way. He's giving a type for what he really wants to see happen through the Holy Spirit. That's why he uses the same language. It's not the same word, but the same language. He blew into their nostrils and gave them breath. I can tell you right up front, if your belief about the Holy Spirit does not come something akin to how much you need air, the air that you breathe, then you're not attributing enough to the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? You need air to breathe. You just talked, Merlin, about watching that air leave someone's life, and suddenly something is gone from them, right? The body's still there, but something is gone from them. You need air to breathe. If you do not in some way attribute as much necessity to having the Holy Spirit as you do to having the air you breathe, then you are underestimating or devaluing the Holy Spirit in your life. Because you need him like you need the air to breathe. Let's talk about then what does scripture teach us is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? What is the presence of God active in our world? 
what is his purpose? What is his reason? Why did God send him? What is he supposed to accomplish? Now, there's actually a number of things. We're going to have to kind of walk through them. I'm going to do them in a specific order. I think you'll probably understand why. But it's not necessarily in chronological order is how it's revealed in Scripture, but in, in a specific order. The first thing that we see in Scripture that I believe we should make a mention of or be aware of is that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict sinners, is to convict people who are against God in some way. Now, that could be either people who are totally against God or people who think they're for God but have sin in their life. It's the same function. It's to convict sinners. Now, Jesus taught about this. Let me just read these verses to you. This is John chapter 16. We're going to be jumping around. I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture. I hope that's okay with you. I happen to think it's where I should be preaching from, so I'm not going to make an excuse for it or tell you I'm sorry about that. John chapter 16 is going to give us uh, some information as Jesus began to teach on the Holy Spirit. In verse 7, he says this. Nevertheless, he's talking to his disciples, to his followers. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. He just told me he's going to leave, and they began to be a little dismayed dismayed about that. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper is referring to the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes... Here's here's what he tells us what the Holy Spirit will do. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he explains himself a bit further. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because they go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. When he comes, here's what the Holy Spirit will do. So he's not yet fully present in the world. Jesus told us that at that point. He's not yet fully present in the world up until that point. We're going to read, uh, read later why that's true. So just hang, to that, hang on to that thought. But he said when he does come, he's going to do three things in terms of convicting sinners. He's going to convict them concerning sin, meaning they don't believe that he is the Messiah. They don't believe in Jesus. Now, when you boil the definition of sin down, we can get to some really basic definitions of sin. But when you boil the definition of sin down, is sin not disbelieving God? Isn't that a pretty good basic definition of sin? Disbelieving God. Think about the original sin in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, you see right away, he's picking up on the fact that, did God really say that or are you, gonna, are you willing to disbelieve God a bit? That when God says this is true, you might actually think, well, maybe it's like this actually. That's sin. Anytime that we disbelieve God or anytime that we don't agree with God and that he's right, that's called sin. Now that leads to lots of things that we know as sin, Right? as being proud or as taking things that are not ours or being selfish or hurting someone or whatever the case is. But all that begins with an idea that God was wrong in what he said. So when Jesus says he will convict the world concerning sin, it's the most basic, the greatest one is that they don't believe in Jesus himself. Because the biggest message that I think that God would love to give to us is that he made a way for us through Jesus. All of scripture points to Jesus. So the, the crux or the main thing that we, that we sin in if we're, if we're going to disbelieve in about Jesus, that's sort, of the, that's sort of the biggest one you can do. It has eternal consequences, right? If you don't believe in Jesus and you sin against God in that way. By the way, did you ever think of it that way? Do you ever think about the fact that not believing in Jesus is a sin? Because God said he is the way. God said he is the one I've sent. God said he's my chosen one. And when you don't believe that, you are sinning against God. Concerning righteousness because of what Jesus did. Notice he picks up on the fact that concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. Meaning he's alive. He's going to die and come back to life and go to the Father. He has paid for 
the sins of the world. That's righteousness. That the only way to be right is through him. These are all things that are behind what Jesus is saying. I don't want to take too much time with this. And concerning judgment because the prince of the world has been, has been judged. And referring to the fact that judgment is coming. And Jesus is the one that's going to be judging. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, convicting people with those understandings that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus paid. The only righteousness you can ever get is through Jesus and that he will one day judge the world. That is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in sinners. Now, thankfully, it would be a really rotten deal if God sent the Holy Spirit and said, I want you to convict everybody and help them see that they're wrong about who Jesus is and what he has done and what's going to happen down the road. And it would be really unfortunate if he would do all that and do a great job of that and then leave us with nothing else with where to go. If we would come to a place and say, I realize I'm wrong, now what? Thankfully, a second part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, in fact, not only to convict sinners, but to regenerate those who are repentant to renew those who are repentant. That's a couple of big words there, by the way. But it really means that when you get to agree with the Holy Spirit, when he says that you're a sinner, that's the first part, you agree with him, he also is the mechanism by which you are changed. The mechanism by which you can begin to realize, I was wrong, how do I become right? Now, Jesus actually already taught about that. Remember this interchange he had all the way back in John chapter 3? This interchange he had with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him during the night one time, he said, I believe you're a teacher. I need to know how do we become right with God? How, what, what do we do with this? And Jesus says, I tell you, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus kind of scratches his head. And he says, wait a minute. How am I supposed to be born again? Because I know how you get born the first time, but I can't, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And Jesus said this in verse 5 of John chapter 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows. Did you notice what analogy he uses right away? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Remember what I said the definition of the Spirit is? It's actually the exact same word. All the way through that whole text is the word pneuma. He's trying to get him to see. It is the Spirit that is the agent of regeneration in you. And you say, how does that work? And he says, it's kind of like the wind. Think about the wind. God gave you a great natural example of the Holy Spirit and how it works in the wind. Last night, it was really windy. I lay awake during the night in, in my bedroom because I heard things flying against the, our house. I, I don't know what it was. I hope they're okay, whatever it was. The wind was blowing, right? He says, just like the wind blows and we don't know where it comes from. Where does the wind start? You ever think about that? When it's so windy, can you, okay, so yesterday, let's, yesterday the wind was out of the east, right? Am I right about that? I think so, for part, most of the day, because that's why we had rain. If I would go on east for a while, would I find the source of the wind? Where does it start? Can I find the spot where all that wind is coming from? He said, that's what the Holy Spirit is like. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit it's a work that you won't understand. You don't know where the, I mean, you could say you know where the source is. It comes from God, but, but it's a work inside of you. By the way, I would suggest to you, if you pay any attention at all, and you've grown in Christ at all, you've seen that effect, right? That, that, very, same, that very thing, in effect. Because there's been times in your life where there's something that'll hold on you, and one day you wake up and you realize, you know what? I don't want that anymore. How did that happen? What changed inside of me? How did I suddenly no longer have a desire for that or to say those words or to act like this? 
What happened? That's the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Thank the Lord that when he sent a really capable part of himself to convict us when we are wrong, that also is the very same person, the very same mechanism that helps us to become right with God, to regenerate us, to cleanse us, to become born again, to become renewed inside. Amen. Now, I'm going to deviate. I'm going to pull out just a bit from here because I want to give you just a broad overview of how the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit coming to us. It's, a good, it's a, right in the middle, a good swing point. So let's go back to the Old Testament for a little bit. If you would follow me back to the book of Ezekiel. God actually prophesied through Ezekiel about what he was going to do in his second covenant. He had made one covenant with Israel, but he said, I've got a bigger covenant. That was a type two. I've got a bigger covenant I want to make with all of mankind. Everybody, everybody of you sitting here this morning, the covenant that God wants to make with you. And here's what he says. He says in verse 22. Now, he keeps the language about Israel, but listen to this. He says in verse 22 of Ezekiel 36. Sorry, I may not have given you the reference. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, and listen carefully, by the way. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. In other words, you're not the reason why I'm, I mean, it's not because of how great you are. In fact, he goes on to say, it's for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned. You have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. In other words, my name has been drugged through the mud, and it's your fault. So it's not because of you I'm going to do what I'm about to do. It's because of my holy name, and I want to reclaim my holy name. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So here's what he's about to do. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, all of this to them, I'm sure, didn't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, to us today, sometimes, we don't understand quite how all this worked out. But what I want to focus on is that God spoke a long time before it ever happened, that he said, I have, and my, my covenant I want to make with all of mankind to show everyone how holy I am, is that I will cleanse you, I will clean you, I will, I will take the, cast the idols out of you, I will put my presence inside of you so that you may be sure to obey me. We call that today, looking back, we call that saying, so that you don't no longer have to obey from the outside in, but can obey from the out, inside out. God's presence inside of you makes you want to obey what God says you should do. Notice, by the way, that the obedience part doesn't change. It's not that you don't longer have to be obedient to what God says. It's that you're doing it from the inside because his presence is in you, not from the outside in. Now, he said that way back in Ezekiel. So let's see what Jesus said. Jesus when he was walking around on earth, he, remember, he's the chosen one. He's the one that, through whom God was going to do these things. When he was walking around on earth in John chapter 7, verse 37, he said, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, the great day of the feast of the last, sorry, I should, the great day was the last day of the feast, a week-long feast. Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoever believes in me, he's telling you how to get there, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, they may have been confused about that too, but John gives us a clue. He says, now this he said, the words he said, he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet had not been given, 
for, I'm sorry, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we're kind of trying to weave these things together. I hope you're tracking along with me as we weave these strands together. The Holy Spirit convicts sinners and regenerates them. Jesus talked about that. That when, when the Holy, when you must be born again, not just of water, but of the Spirit as well. We could have kept reading there, by the way, because he gave them the same instruction. It depends on whether you believe in him, whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit, whether that regeneration comes. Remember what he said? The Holy Spirit will convict what? In concern to sin because you don't believe in me and righteousness because I'm going to the Father, and judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I'm going to come back and judge him. It's, it hinged, the hinge point is whether you believe in Jesus. If you believe in him, then you will have these rivers of living water. And John tells us that he was talking about the Holy Spirit. As of yet, the Holy Spirit had not been given in that way. Now, we do read of the Holy Spirit. I should make this mention of this. We do read of the Holy Spirit's activity in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this or not. We do. For you read things like this. That the Spirit of God came down on someone and a mighty act was done. And the implication is that the Spirit of God then left again. In fact, we read that sometimes explicitly. So he came for times and seasons. It's not that the Spirit of God was dormant from creation to, to after Christ. He was very active, but on, temporary base, on a temporary basis. What we read here, what Jesus is about to say, and John reminds us, he says, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Something is going to be different after Jesus is glorified. What God said through Ezekiel is going to come true. Now, keep tracking because we just went through the book of Acts. And so we're going to read in the book of Acts where we see this exact fulfillment happen. Again, I'm just kind of trying to lay out from Scripture here how God works, how the Holy Spirit works in us, how God works in us through the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Jesus, where's Jesus now? In Acts chapter 2, where's Jesus now? He's in heaven. He's ascended. Remember John's words? As of yet, the, Jesus had not been glorified, so the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Now he's in heaven. That's, called, that's in his glorified state. When the day of Pentecost, excuse me, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all in, together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing, what? Why do you suppose it sounded like a mighty rushing wind? What's the definition of pneuma? Wind. What did God breathe into Adam? His breath, he blew, right? What did Jesus say the Holy Spirit is like? The wind. And suddenly there came, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here we see the fulfillment of what God has been talking about. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my Spirit inside of you. Jesus on earth said, hey, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will come out, to you, out of you, and I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit, although it's not yet because I've not been glorified. And in Acts we read, now it happened. Here comes the mighty rushing wind, and they began, as they were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, by the way, because there's people from all, all the nations around them, other languages, and they began to speak. Now, by the way, tying back to my point, because I've got to get back to my message here at some point, tying back to my point, anybody know what happens as the Holy Spirit comes, and they're filled, and they begin to speak in other tongues, and Peter preaches a powerful message? What happens? People get saved. What happens? What's, what's the work of the Holy Spirit? He convicts them. If you look at Acts 2.37, it says, when they heard these things that Peter was saying, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? We're wrong. Did I tell you, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict sinners 
And then we're going to see the regenerating, I'm not going to read the verses, but we see the regenerating work because they tell to them, repent, repent, and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Believe in Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit will come, and you will be reborn. And it says the church exploded. Now, one more reference just to kind of keep tracking this through because I believe we want to go front to finish to show you how, this, how God said this was going to work. When Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he says this. He's in the middle of just an, just an amazing group of verses. I can't read all of them. I don't have time to read all of them. But verses 13 and 14 are particularly important to today's message. This is the third thing of in him, by the way. In him, in him, in him, in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, when you're in Jesus, the third one is this. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, of God's glory. This, very clearly laid out from Scripture, is what the Holy Spirit does. God said, I'm going to send him to you. Jesus said, the, 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 the hinge point is to believe in me, and then it happened, and it's available to not just to the, it's not just available to the Peter and the apostles on, 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 a, on the day of Pentecost in Acts. It's available to every single person that when you heard the gospel, the word of salvation, and you believed in Jesus Christ, that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit for that day, that day that's coming until we acquire possession of it. Now, let's get back to Holy Spirit ministry. He convicts people, tells them that you're not right with God, and then when they begin to understand that, he regenerates them. And then when you, they believe in Christ and they're regenerated, he fills them. And when he fills them, here's two more pieces of his ministry. The first is that he encourages believers. He has an encouragement to believers. In every sense of the word, by the way, whether it's convicting or regenerating or encouraging, he is the one who calls us near to God. And in fact, the verses here I'm going to read are going to bring evidence to that. John 14, 26. By the way, I have the other words there. The, the encouraging work is he comforts, he assures, he guides. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. When he says the word Helper, he's using the word parakaleho which means to call alongside, to call near. The paraclete in English, we often say that. He is the one who calls us near to God. By the way, it's the exact same word that he uses in chapter 16 that I shared earlier. I said it out of order, but it's the same word. In other words, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is still a parakaleho. It's still to call near to God. It's still to invite, to say, come near to God. I can submit to you, the closer you get to God, the more aware you are of your sin. That you're wrong, that you need regeneration, that you need to be reborn. But when we have received Jesus, it is his constant function. It is his constant function to encourage us, to call us nearer, ever nearer to God, to, to, to teach us about things that, he, that Jesus said about what the scripture says, and to remind us of those things, and to remind us of the things to say as we talk to other people. It is his constant job. Let me just flesh this out. I'm going to read a couple passages of scripture. I hope they're encouraging to you. I hope it's not boring to you to read scripture. Romans chapter 8. Let these words remind you of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit inside of you and be encouraged. Romans chapter 8, listen to these verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a great way to start, by the way. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh 
but according to the Spirit. There's a lot of things we could unearth there. We don't have time for it today because we're getting to the, all we want to focus on is what the Holy Spirit does. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Listen carefully, church. Are we listening? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. What do you spend your time thinking about? I'm serious. What do we spend our time thinking about? This verse tells me if you set your mind on flesh, the result is death. You set your mind on the Spirit, the result is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, may these words be true of us. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. How do you get the Spirit of God to dwell in you? Let's recap. We shared this. How do we get the Spirit of God to dwell in us? We believe in Jesus. That's what we do. We believe that Jesus is the one that God sent as the Savior of all mankind. That righteousness was attained through him and that he is coming someday to be the judge. When we believe in him, the Spirit of God dwells in us. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of, the, because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, even though you may die like Larry Mass did, there's still life. Though the body is dead because of sin, there is life and the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Let me, let me give you a little bridge. I'm going to read some more verses. These are very familiar word, verses, but, I, but, the, but the Word of God is powerful and it's quick. It's what you need to hear this morning. Galatians chapter 5. But I say to you, I say to you this morning, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are we paying attention, church? But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's ministry to you as a believer in Jesus Christ to encourage you and to call you near and to guide you. To guide you. These things are wrong. These things are right. Walk in the way of the Lord. Do not fight against the Spirit. Set your mind on the Spirit and walk in step with the Spirit. Not only, now this may be a kind of a sub-point or, or maybe a, a shared point, but not only does the Holy Spirit encourage believers, but I want to be very clear that he empowers believers. He is the one that gives believers any ability to have any kind of victory. He is the one that gives believers any ability to have any kind of ministry on Christ's behalf. There is no substitution. You will not be victorious in your life for Christ if you do not have the Holy Spirit empowering you. And you will not be uh, beneficial or bringing glory to God through ministry if it is not powered by the Holy Spirit. 
here's one of those moments where you have to ask yourself, is this really what I believe? For we spend a lot of time in our lives doing as much as we can to clean ourselves up and do the right things and doing as much as we can to serve God in the best way we know how to. And I'm not saying we should, there's not effort required on our part at all. In fact, I believe there's great effort required on our part. However, we must see that effort as only being successful when it begins with those rivers of living water that Jesus said are ours when we confess him. When the Holy Spirit is inside of us, that, my friend, is where your victory comes from. When the Holy Spirit is inside of you, that is where ministry comes from, true ministry. I submit to you, you don't even have to try then. You don't have, it's not like it's easy. I shouldn't say it that way. But you don't have to try. When the Holy Spirit is powerfully working in you, you don't have to go try to be nice to people and love people and serve them and, and use your gift. It, you, you love doing it. You can't wait to do it. It's why I've been excited all week long because I didn't get to preach last week. I'm serious. I fell asleep several times this week thinking, I can't wait till Sunday. I have an incredible message about the Holy Spirit. I, have, I don't think I can probably say everything I want to say, but I'm ready to go. Let me read a couple more uh, verses for you. Ephesians, let's go back to the book of Ephesians. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us, and Paul prays this incredible prayer. I love this. Again, there's so much more than I could say about this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. <laughs> I love that. Can we pray those kind of prayers for each other? I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, there is incredible power in this kind of prayer for each other. Are you willing Will you, listen, today's, today's pastor appreciation. I would be delighted, my wife and I would be delighted if you would pray this prayer for us every day, that we would be strengthened through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit of God, that we would know, being rooted and grounded in Christ, we would know the depths of his love. Do you know the answer to you of living a victorious life is when you know how much God loves you and that love is flowing the other direction. For you will never say no to the things of the world until you love God more than you love them. That's why Marcus's question this morning is a great question. If Jesus was not in heaven, would you still want to go? It gets at, do we really love him? You will not say no to sin until you love Jesus more than that sin. Ever. This is why Paul prays. I pray that you be strengthened in your inner man. That the Holy Spirit would reside in you powerfully that you may know the depth and the length and the breadth and the height of God's love for you. And to know the love of Christ and to be filled with all the fullness of God. I told you I can't preach that message. I really want to. I have to but I have to share this yet too because we're not even to the end yet. Got to go the right direction. We talked about the victory we have in Christ, but what about the ministry we have in Christ? What about the way that God wants to turn around and use us for his glory? 
Again, I can't, I can't do service to this. I'm going to read one passage, and there's a whole message. Actually, Chris preached a lot of this message a couple months ago, a month or so ago. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, we read this. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Stop for a moment. Did you notice what Paul just did? Since it's my recurring theme, did you notice what Paul just did? What did Paul just do? What have I been harping on every single message as we go through? What? Anybody, want to, anybody catch it? No, not, well, not that. It talks about how, but through these messages, I've been, I've been over and over reminding us that God is three in one, the Trinity. You notice what Paul just did? Read those verses again with that in mind. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God. You notice that? In the middle of Paul teaching us about the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, he makes sure to remind us that the Spirit is part of the Trinity. It's part of the Godhead. Three in one. God the Father, Jesus the Lord, and the Holy Spirit. Let me go on. To each is given, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered. By the way, there's a whole message about all these gifts. It's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the fact that it doesn't matter which gift you're talking about. It doesn't matter what kind of service you want to give to God. It all comes through one Spirit. When he has filled you, he empowers you for ministry. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Again, whole message apart from that. That's not why I'm talking about it. I'm reminding us today that our belief about the Holy Spirit is that he convicts sinners. He regenerates repentance. He encourages those who believe in Christ as he fills them. He encourages them and he empowers them so they may actually be effective in their walk with Christ. I could have said all that by pointing you to an actual example. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 31. They get in trouble for preaching in the temple. They get kicked out. They They get told don't ever do it again. They go back home and it says that they pray together. And it says and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And the very next verse is that the church continues to grow. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, encouraging and empowering believers. Both in that, uh, that same thing. As they prayed together, the Holy Spirit came and shook the building, shook their very presence, and they understood that what I'm doing for God is far more important than anybody can say about anything else in my life. And they became empowered to continue speaking boldly. Let me make one connection. This is the end of our message here. Let me make one connection for you today yet, though. I want you to see the relationship. You remember the four points? If you have a handout, you had them written down before you. Remember the four points? The Holy Spirit does what? He convicts sinners. What does he do after he convicts them? He regenerates those who are repentant. And then what does he do? When, when they receive the Holy Spirit, then what does he do? He encourages them. And what else does he do? He empowers them. Can I remind you or let you uh, see the relationship between number one and two convicting and regenerating, and between number three and four. In other words, when we allow the Holy Spirit to encourage and empower us, 
Many times that is the impetus by which the Holy Spirit can then convict and regenerate other people. Let me say that again. As the Holy Spirit encourages you and empowers you, and you are faithful to that, and you yield yourself to that, which I may tell you may result in some things that are sometimes uncomfortable for you, or difficult for you, or not the easiest thing in the world to have happen. But as you are encouraged and led by him and empowered by him, that often is the mechanism by which he does the convicting and the leading, uh, the, 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 what leads from, follows from there, sorry, the regenerating work. Again, I could give you a perfect example from the book of Acts. Remember the story of how they are imprisoned in Philippi? Paul's in prison in Philippi. He's whipped, thrown in jail, and they are doing what? They are singing and praying. The Holy Spirit is encouraging them. He's empowering them. And what happens? Earthquake comes. Their shackles fall off, and, and everybody, the, the jailer thinks everybody must have escaped. And he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, whoa, wait, wait, wait. We're all still here. Had they not allowed themselves to be encouraged and empowered by the Holy Spirit, I don't think they would be there anymore. For when God miraculously opens prison cells, most people would walk out, right? But what happens next? When the jailer realizes that they were all still there, he calls for a light and he falls trembling at their feet and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The convicting work of the Holy Spirit was preceded by believers in Jesus Christ allowing themselves to be encouraged and empowered no matter what the situation was by the Holy Spirit. They work in tandem. It's the reason we should joyfully, gladfully allow God to break us that the Holy Spirit might have opportunity to convict and regenerate more. I had this conversation with one of you last week. I didn't, maybe, I didn't maybe major on this today, but in the Holy Spirit's role of helping us mature and grow, it is precisely through the function of empowering us to be used in ministry for us to use our gifts that we grow and enable opportunities for the Holy Spirit to convict and regenerate others. I don't know if you know that or not or have experienced that or believe that or not, but the best method for you to grow in Christ is not for you to sit here and hear great sermons week after week. I mean, I hope they do you good. I hope they do. But the best method for you to grow is for you to allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to use the gifts that he has given you in his service. That is how you grow in Christ. That is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. God, thank you for your word this morning. I'm grateful that you have such patience toward us for we have often missed the mark. We've often become lazy. We've become sloppy. We've become uh, full of apathy. We don't care maybe. We've often let our minds be fixed on things that are from the world here. And in doing so, we are guilty like the Israelites were of defaming your name. You have glorified and vindicated your holy name when you sent Jesus Christ. And then you glorified him after he was killed by us. And then you sent the Holy Spirit. And today, God, again, I, I just... I'm so grateful for the Spirit because there's just no way that I can impart 
what needs to be imparted. But I trust you, Spirit. I trust in your ability to help us to grow and understand, to have things revealed to us, to free us from incorrect thinking or unhealthy patterns in our lives, to guide us, to call us near, to be our helper, our paraclete. Thank you. Thank you that you encourage us and empower us. Thank you that you convict us so that when we are wrong about something, we have the opportunity to be made right. It is your work in us, Holy Spirit, and we sang about it, but we mean it. We welcome you here. We want you to do your work among us, in me, in my heart. I need you like I need the air I breathe. Otherwise, I will not live. I might live physically, but I will not live spiritually. I will not live eternally in heaven. Thank you. Spirit, we want to glorify you today for you are often the one we maybe push aside or hinder in some way or misunderstand. But today we welcome you in our life, in our hearts, to be the Lord. When we say Jesus Christ is Lord, you, Spirit, are in fact the agent in us that makes that true, that enables that to be true. We receive you, Holy Spirit, that you might be glorified, that the name of God might be glorified. Thank you. God, we give you praise and honor. You are an amazing, amazing God, and we love you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to pray for the meal. Again, you're invited to join us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. We'd love to be together as a body of believers. Help us to be truly unified. Help us to have true fellowship, which is to be in partnership together, contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be ashamed of Jesus' name, but we want to proclaim him boldly. We want to allow him to work in our hearts and our lives boldly. We thank you for the food and the hands that have prepared it. We ask for your blessing, not, on it, not just on it, but on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace this morning.